0: if you go to your team tomorrow and you tell them, good news, guys, you're empowered, right? Nothing changes. You don't get an empowered team. You get a bunch of confused people because they know there's some real limits. There's There's got to be something they shouldn't do without talking to someone else. So people without the clarity will spend their time searching for the clarity or deferring to big meetings, which is a hugely inefficient way of getting that.
1: Welcome to Pyramid to Circles, circles. this podcast is for the leaders and for the change makers who have the goal of evolving their company towards more collective intelligence, more empowerment, more self-organization, but asking themselves how to make this happen, where to start, and how to get inspiration from others. others. Welcome, everyone. Tonight, I am particularly thrilled to receive a guest who has been a master and an educator for me. He taught taught me 11 years ago a method for self-organization that was by large under the radar at the time, but which has become the leading model since then, as his approach has been implemented in thousands and thousands of organizations all across the globe. His method is called Holacracy. Probably in the audience, many people have heard this word. So my guest is the founder of Holacracy, Brian Robertson. Brian, welcome. Nice to see you. It's really a pleasure to have you on the show, and I'm just curious to, where are you as we speak? Austin, yes. Texas. Is Austin, Texas. I see in the background, beautiful light seems to be warm here in Europe. It's pretty cold right now. Brian, I'm really grateful for you, and I guess many people are for this method, and I'm going to unpack it and explain it. So you also founded Olacracy One, that is the company that supports the growth of Olacracy, and before that, I understand that you have founded and been the CEO of another company in the digital and the IT industry. Today, you see your work as uh, I, I read this in your profile as allowing leaders to release the reins of personal power and persuasion into a trustworthy and explicit governance process. Before we go into the content of all what is your vision of leadership? What are the limits that you see in the existing power model at place in most of the organizations with, you know, CEO and then uh, leadership, you know, executive teams and then teams and people managing that? And maybe how do you see the role of the leaders in a new model? What should they do differently? So this—what what is your vision really about leadership and power?
0: You know, I, I find it fascinating that we talk so much about leadership. Uh, even that fact tells me something. And, and what I'd love is for the discussions to not really focus much on leadership. Not because it's unimportant, but because it's so integrated that it becomes something that everybody does and it's no big deal. It's like breathing. We don't spend a lot of time talking about how do we breathe. That's really important, but we just do it. It's just effortless. It just flows and everyone does it. I think the opportunity for leadership is is for it to be like that. It's right now, It's it gets so much focus because it's not yet unconscious competence. It's not yet something that we have systems and cultures set up where just everybody naturally always does it. We think of it as a separate thing. And to me, that's the problem. If we have to think of a separate class of leaders that are separate from those who are not leaders, we're doing something wrong. And if we have to think of leadership as something different than what we do every moment of every day with every decision we make, we're doing something wrong, right? So so that to me is the opportunity. How do we get this so integrated that everyone does it all the time? And then from there, let's optimize how conscious we, we show up moment to moment, right? I, I want to be talking about consciousness, not leadership as something separate from not leadership.
1: Wow. Okay. So you say con-leadership is actually the consciousness that you're having moment to moment into what you're doing. Is it lacking in organizations today? You see that. I saw you in a conference the other day and you say, well, I love hierarchy. And and so do I. And hierarchies are, I've been doing amazing things, right? I mean, you you said, I remember in a training program that they took with you so many years
0: ago, pyramid model but what is the limit of that? Is it lacking of consciousness? So I think we can answer this on different levels. There's like at the individual level, we can ask what, what's lacking in me. What's what's the what's in the way of me showing up with more consciousness, more intentionality, mm-hmm. more clarity, moment to moment, day to day. And then we can also ask it at at the system level, right? What what in the system around us blocks people from using their consciousness, from leading beyond their own individual choices, right? And and I think it's it's really useful to look at both of these because they're just two different things. Internally, when I look at that, that that's really the domain of personal growth, personal development, self work of, of whatever sort. What are our blind spots? What are our uh, habits, our patterns, our fears when we we kind of contract and act from them instead of from our wisest, most expansive you know vision? So we can look at that. We can find our own shadow, our own you know uh, whatever's uh, unconscious in us that is maybe at play and blocking us from our our best expression of our uh, our consciousness, our leadership. Uh, And the more we do that, the best leaders I know are the ones that have done the most personal growth, the most of their own shadow work. Then separately from that, we can also look at, well, great, even if you have a company full of incredibly conscious people, that doesn't necessarily mean you have a very conscious organization. In fact, often it goes the other direction. I've seen companies where each individual is actually pretty remarkable. Their, Their own capacity for leadership and consciousness is quite remarkable. And yet it almost hurts because the system around them doesn't make it easy to integrate that. So you end up with everyone kind of clashing into each other and all leading in different directions. And in that sense, you can have individuals who are great leaders and that can hurt the system if the system isn't designed to integrate them effectively. So a separate question is, what are the constraints in the system? What gets in the way of any one individual who has some conscious awareness of how something could be better from driving improvement in that something, right? This is the question I asked myself, 20 some years ago that led ultimately to the development of Holacracy, which was how do we build a system where anything sensed by anyone, anywhere in the company has somewhere to go to rapidly and reliably drive meaningful change, right? How can we take anything that any of us sense could be better, could, could be different in a process issues, any, anything. And how can we create a system in which we can use that sensing uh, to, to drive meaningful change without getting in the way of somebody else in the process, right? That's the alignment function. You know, One way people do that right now in management hierarchies is simply you go talk to the boss when it's something beyond your scope. But th- as a system that doesn't scale well in the face of complexity, and that's what we're seeing a lot today. We have incredibly overwhelmed managers. We have management hierarchies that are bottlenecks and bureaucratic. And it's easy to, to I think, sometimes pin that on different people in the system. But I think a a much more useful frame is just maybe the system itself is is perfectly designed to achieve the results of bottlenecks and bureaucracy and overload and all that stuff. So what can we do to shift the system around us to allow leadership to flow from everyone
1: in a large organization? There is a strategy. There are big goals. Those big goals are sometimes complicated to grasp for everyone. There are so many, so much complexity internally, and there are, there are so interdependencies. And alignment is key. We talk about tensions and I think more on on the system and make the adjustments at every level. I think that's the key and I I really want to talk about it. But just before that, how to, on one hand, stay, if we are very many in an organization, stay aligned on on, on goals and going in the same direction so it's not chaos. And on the other hand, at the same time, giving enough space for everybody to find their own way or not be in the way of others or not have anyone on their way as they go, that's Empowerment on one hand, and there's alignment on the other and there Are two needs at the same time? How can we reconcile those two needs?
0: Rather than looking at those as if they're opposed, which they might actually be in some systems. You know, the more you have uh, alignment, you do it at the expense of you know freedom for people to adapt. But if that's true in your system, if those are at odds, the opportunity first is to change the system. How can we instead have each one improve the other? Right? Uh, which yeah. should be possible. A great yeah. example. I, is the human body. We have a lot of alignment. When I go for a jog, my entire system goes with me, right? Like my heart beats faster, my muscles move in rhythm, my lungs take in more oxygen, the whole system's aligned. The body is so I have, well done. Yeah, I have, I have a, a ton of freedom. And we do that without yeah. a top-down command hierarchy, by the way. There's no CEO cell telling the others what to do. There's trillions of cells working together in harmony without a top-down command hierarchy. And there is a governance that we may not be aware of, but there's your brain saying, "Okay, we go there," and then the body's is ah, following. But, and your
1: foot is but following. Even right? that.
0: Now, if you look at the latest science in this, that's a, a mental model that was us projecting our old model on what okay. we were studying. The, the
1: yeah. latest yeah. science
0: in this is it's a much more decentralized control system than we realized. There's okay. more neurons in the gut than in the, yes. the, the brain. That right? There's massive amounts of tissue in there that that also yes. regulate. The, we're just now discovering the importance of yeah. the whole GI system for the entire you know, uh, uh, emotional cognitive system of the human, right? I, I'm not saying there's not a sense of hierarchy there, but it's a different kind. It's not a command mm. hierarchy, right? It, it's a, a hierarchy of function. So each cell has its own autonomous little mm. function, mm-hmm. and it self-organizes. There's no cell that pokes in and structures it. Yes. It's a self-organizing entity, which is part of an organ. And that organ is also an autonomous part of a broader organ system. So I'm not saying there's no hierarchy. It's a different kind of hierarchy. It's, it's so that's a holarchy, right? Or that's it's a holarchy. That's what yeah, you call an holarchy. That's why you, this this is where the word holarchy actually itself comes yes. from, right? Yeah. So this is nature's way of organizing for complexity. It's it's hierarchical, but in a different kind. It's not a command hierarchy. It's a scope of function hierarchy, um, or a holarchy, which is is a, a beautiful word for that. So. In that system, you have alignment and you have empowerment. Those aren't at odds. In fact, each one serves the other and you still need it, right? You don't have cells that are just going doing their own thing or we call that cancer. It's hard on the whole system. So we have systems prevent that, right? But uh, in an organization, often in in a, a simple management hierarchy, these two do become at odds. You have a choice. Do you want more controls to get alignment or do you want more empowerment? And I think it's a false choice if we instead look at why does why do those feel at odds, right? And usually it's a lack of clarity uh, or the wrong clarity. And this is where a lot of people go wrong, I think, when they try to get more empowerment. It doesn't actually work to just try to throw out clarity, throw out structure, throw out the bureaucracy that's in the way, which is a natural first instinct, right? That people see all the policies and bureaucracy that's in the way. So they, they try to get rid of them. But if you go to your team tomorrow and you tell them, Good news guys, you're empowered, right? Nothing changes. You don't get an empowered team. You get a bunch of confused people because they know there's some real limits. There's There's got to be something they shouldn't do without talking to someone else. So people without the clarity will spend their time searching for the clarity or deferring to big meetings, which is a hugely inefficient way of getting that. So what we really need often to bring these two in, into uh, alignment is Clarity. We need the right clarity of what can someone do without talking to anyone and what can't someone do without talking to someone else and who and for what limits or in what limits, for what what issues, right? If we have that kind of clarity, now they're not at odds. Now you can simply go lead fully, be empowered within these bounds. You know, and and this also is natural to how humans work. We, we see this, there's studies that have been done in the US on children and playgrounds, like little kids. And they find when they send little kids out into a playground that has no boundary and they say play, that the kids actually stay really clustered. They don't act very empowered. And when they put a fence, even a low fence that people could step over, but a low fence out way around the, the area, they will then go fill every every square foot of it, right? They'll They'll- Fully use it. Boundaries help empowerment. Boundaries help clarity. If you want empowerment, you need limits. If you don't know your limits, you don't know your freedom, right? If you don't know the limits of your empowerment, you actually aren't empowered. So, this is the the, the big challenge organizations face. And whether you do it with command hierarchy, which you can do, it's just harder, or a more self organizing method, you need clarity, right? If we want autonomy and and empowerment at scale within alignment we need clarity so the question becomes what's the best way to get more organizational clarity and by the way it's it's not a static target the right clarity changes with every new initiative as we learn so it's even harder you can't just sit down and design the right clarity it's out of date by the time it gets off the printer right what we need is what's the method we're going to use to evolve our clarity over time to evolve the organization's clarity so that we we can tell people Within these limits, you are empowered. Go lead. Don't talk to anyone. Don't call a meeting. Don't look for consensus or buy-in. Don't go to a manager. Within these limits, lead. Mm. I love it, and I realize that when there is too much complexity,
1: people are not clear. So when people have tensions, when they are in stress, it's often because they are not clear on what to do and what should I do this and should I do that. And there is so much. Around me, and there are so many competing priorities and, tra- and trade-offs to make, and that creates stress on the people. And actually, what releases the stress is not to have less work, but to have more clarity. Because yes. when I have clarity, I know where to focus my attention, when i focus my energy. So the job, and, and I think in all agile and, and and thirty, I'm using this word as a big package. It's a very large word with a big bag with many things in it. But I think one of the priorities, if you want to bring an agile transformation, is to the, the idea of. Creating conditions for clarity and creating clarity all the time and making sure people are clear here on what is important, when is to be done, and what is expected from them, what is not expected from them, and how, uh, how the value chain should go, etc. So yes, and most of the meetings are there to create, recreate a state of clarity. And uh, what you're saying actually is creating the idea in me that maybe the number one job for a leader is to create the conditions for clarity, uh, and that's just what absolutely. you
0: need to do. Yes, yeah. and. And this is in whatever the system is, right? This is why sometimes people think that holacracy is a huge departure from management hierarchy. And I think that's actually looking at it in a, in a really limited way. I look at it as a natural evolution of it's It's the same goal. Whatever system you're using, whatever framework, whether it's management hierarchy or holacracy, what you want is more organizational clarity and for that clarity to be dynamic so it can learn and evolve and change, right? And, and that's the job of a manager if, in a management hierarchy. That's what you want a manager who... Who does. You don't want one that micromanages and gets stuck in fighting fires all the time. You want a manager who creates clarity and tells people within these limits, within this clarity, go lead and I'm not going to micromanage you. It's just harder to get there in a management hierarchy because the manager doesn't have that much support. They don't have framework and processes and language and tools to help foster more organizational clarity. So it's all on them to be a superhero of creating organizational clarity. It's really hard. And when you get one that's good enough, they get promoted and replaced by somebody who's not as good at it, because there's just not enough people (laughs) around who are good at (laughs) it. Yes, Uh, because you have a manager as an individual, Chris correctly,
1: but then there are team, team of managers, executive teams. We're working with large organizations and thinking of one of our clients. It's a thirty thousand employee, you know, employee uh, IT uh, industry with a new strategy with a lot of challenges. We feel the pressure that they're having is very strong. The, you know, a lot of pressure, like if they don't perform, that's it. They, that's uh, maybe the end. Or is that there's going to be consequences? And it's on the short term because the industry is shifting, the technology is shifting, and then your people are spread worldwide. And, and you need very fast to change your business model and, and your offer and to onboard people. And this should happen in a couple of, you know, in the next couple of months or in the next six months and not in the next, the next five years. So we feel the pressure that there's and the pressure is creating a need for control. And you want to simplify and control. It takes something on the on the people's capacity to shift and say, "Okay, my job here is to create conditions for clarity." And what would be a piece of advice to a like executive leadership team of a, such a company, with wow, having this challenge and uh, all the temptation to fall into the common
0: control? Why they don't want to because they want to be agile at the same time. Yeah. So one thing I'd say is uh, let's not throw out that there is sometimes a need to fight a fire and jump in and just, just do something. Sometimes there's a need to micromanage that's useful at times. Uh, the trap is not uh, doing that sometimes. The trap is only doing that. So let me use a metaphor. Yeah, okay. Parents, right? I'm sure many of the listeners here have kids. <laughs> uh, you know, if you have children and if your two-year-old runs out across a street you don't just say, "Well, hey, I don't want to go to control. I want them to learn and be self empowered, and and we'll we'll just let them learn their lesson." Right? That, that's not good parenting. You grab them and pull them out of the road. You be the superhero, right? You you jump in and you control the situation in that urgent context. But if you're still doing that when they're 20, you've missed a step, right? Your job as a parent is not to always be the one doing that and leading them. Your job is to grab them and pull them out of the street when they're two, and then teach them to look both ways before they cross the street, build Mm -hmm. their capacity to not need you build their empowerment. So my lesson for any leader, anywhere in an organization who is feeling that pressure is recognize that's okay. You, You still need to respond to those situations. You might sometimes need to micromanage or to jump in and control something. That's fine. And you can then follow up and do the next step. The danger is stopping there and getting addicted to that cycle. Yes. How can we remove the need to ever have to control this way again? So so you would adapt to the level,
1: I would say, of maturity of the people. Some people are more or less able to maybe less or more or less skilled to do things or more or less motivated to do things. So in other words, more or less mature to fulfill the job. And that's also you also take this into account. So so you need to, as a leader, to adapt your, your your behavior to this level of maturity, right?
0: Exactly. You're not gonna give your two-year-old, you know, uh, the, yeah. the same okay. tasks if <laughs> you your, your yeah. teenager. No. Yeah. Okay. So, you, your first piece of advice will be okay. It says the level of maturity and, and respond and act on it. I think that comes a little later. First, it's just just what what's the clarity? What do you need? Instead of asking the maturity, I'd get there backwards. I'd go just keep clarifying what's really needed within what constraints until you've got enough clarity that for mm. whatever the per, wherever the person that's involved is, it's enough to get the results you need. So you can just drive more and more clarity until you have enough. You you never have perfect clarity and you never want perfect clarity that it's too much. What you want is enough clarity for the people involved to generally have aligned good results. And that level is going to differ based on how seasoned those people are. And that's okay. And you you can ask it the other way around. It tends to be more useful. Let's just keep creating more clarity until we have no more tension. Right? So instead okay. of trying to upfront design a system that you know gives enough clarity, let's just go the other way and listen when we need more clarity and create more clarity and stop when there's no more tension.
1: Yes. Okay, great. So you used the word tension and that was the other part I wanted to ask you about that because you, you started saying in a system, you want to use the inner understanding or the inner experience of people. I don't know the word you use, but you. That I just want to say, first of all, the the, the the concept or the distinction, tension has been uh, extremely useful in my experience. And I just want to, I'm so happy to have you for, for you maybe to, I'm really happy to ask you your definition and explanation. What is attention and what's interesting and useful to work and process with attention? Because the word attention makes people a bit (laughs) it has <laughs> to be a surprise. And what is tension? I yeah. think of personal tension and people tension and problems and all that. And, and they don't want to talk about that. So, and So the word is creating a bit of a reaction most of the time. But when they experience it, they understand. So yeah, we yeah. would love to hear you on the tension. Yeah.
0: So uh, I use that word uh, first not to mean something necessarily negative, but just to capture an experience. And it's if you look at even the root of the word from the Latin tendara, means to stretch. And it's a feeling. You feel stretched. You feel tension in your body uh, or in your emotions, right? I think a mistake that, that's often made in business today is people spend too much time designing based on mental stuff, which ends up with a lot of analysis paralysis and a lot of design that isn't actually grounded in the real business context and needs. So one of the things I encourage people to do is feel, not just think, but feel. What's in the way? Where, where do you feel some tension? And That might mean something frustrating, but it it could also mean something exciting, right? It's I'm using the word neutrally. It's just that sense in your body of wanting something to be different than it is, right? Then we can layer on meaning, and and sometimes we'll call that a problem. Other times we'll call it an opportunity, but let's just recognize that's all us just bringing our mind and making sense of the experience. The experience is just an urge, uh, an impulse, a sense of like, oh, there's some tension here in my body or my heart or whatever. So... If we let tension drive change, we stay far more grounded. We stay out of analysis paralysis. We know when to stop. We stop solving the the, the thing when there's no more tension, when we feel like, oh, the tension's dissolved with this change we just made or this new clarity or this new agreement or whatever it is, suddenly I don't feel tense anymore. That's enough. Stop there. You don't have to go further. You don't have to get perfect. And then how can we be more sensitive to noticing anything that catches our attention. That's another way of pointing to tension. The word attention and tension have the same root there, right? So I'm doing this all the time. What grabs my mind? What just, you know, pops into my head, right? Those are signs of what I maybe feel some tension about, right? So notice those things and, and let's drive change based on those, the, the felt sense of what what could be better towards our purpose.
1: Yeah, very interesting, and and uh, it happens sometimes. It happened to me to actually, because I have this distinction tension, tension yeah. to acknowledge that I had one, and it took me courage to actually own it yeah. and to speak it. And because we have this process in you know, lacracy that you t- that you brought to acknowledge and realize that okay, here I have a tension, and maybe it's not actually mm-hmm. comfortable to look at it, because if I'm if I fully own it, there will be consequences. So it takes some time courage. But owning it and realizing it and speaking it, maybe in the right way, in the right context, with the right process, allows amazing uh, results. And uh, it accelerates what needs to be done. Yep. And there is a wisdom in the attention. You were talking about brain cells in the gut. Because they may be coming from there. There is something more in the body or something that you, if you really be honest with yourself, you feel this, is something is wrong here. I have attention. Now I have attention. I'm aware that, okay, this is something I can process and I can work with. So... I'd love to hear you about how you work, how to work with attention. If I feel attention in my job, I feel something is in the way. As you say, I see that um, I I I sense things I would like to
0: do different. How to you how to work with them? One, I just want to make the link back to leadership we talked about. Another way of thinking of leadership is simply, can I be aware of the tensions I'm feeling consciously? Because often people aren't. They're numb to their own tensions. So how much can I be aware of my tensions? The more awareness I have, the more consciousness I have, the more tensions I'll be able to sense. And then can I mindfully choose the most effective means of resolving that tension for the organization? Right. That to me is leadership in a nutshell. It's sensing and processing mm-hmm right? A good leader is one, someone who can sense, consciously sense, and process their tensions, as simple as that. So for me, I like to think in terms of pathways. So once I'm aware of attention, first, just capture it, right? Uh, the simple act of writing down attention is so helpful. We can't hold enough of them in our head. Our minds aren't for that. Whereas My friend, David Allen says, the mind is for having ideas, not holding them. So first skill, get used to noticing your tensions and just dumping them into an inbox somewhere to process notes, whatever. Then I ask, what's the pathway for solving this tension or what there might be many pathways? For example, some tensions, I want to queue up an action that I'm going to take. Sometimes it's bigger than that. I want to queue up an outcome or a project that I'm going to work towards with many actions involved. Sometimes I need to request something from someone else. So another pathway is I wanna request an action or a project from somebody else, right? Um, That's another pathway I could use. Sometimes I wanna change the processes around us or create more clarity, right? And this is one of the most, uh, the least used or most missed pathways, right? Often people go to the actions or maybe requests, but miss the chance to say, wait, what we really need here is a process update or more clarity of who does what. Right? Anytime you're tempted to say the pathway is go to a meeting, that should be a clue that there's probably a better pathway. Right. Even if you have to use the meeting to get there, there's still a probably a better pathway. Right. What, what clarity would you need so that this didn't need to go to a meeting? You knew exactly who to go to for what? Right. There's very, very few things that really should go to meetings if you have the right clarity. There's some, but very few. So right, these are the pathways. Do I bring it to a meeting? And if so, that should be a clue that maybe there's another pathway to find or, or build, right? Uh, but these are examples of some. Request an action, take an action myself, or do I create more clarity or update a process or something like that? Uh, evolve the organization's clarity in some way, right? Uh, and sometimes it's something else. Sometimes it's interpersonal. Sometimes it's like, this actually isn't about the work. It's about how you and I work together. So what I really need to do, I, you know, I realize I feel frustrated and I want to clean something up with you. I want to just feel heard and for you to understand me better. Or, hey, something you're doing doesn't make sense to me and it's bugging me at a personal level. Maybe I want to understand you better. So there's interpersonal pathways you might, might use. Sometimes it's a new agreement at a personal level, right? It's, you know, I get frustrated. You're 10 minutes late to every meeting. I'd like to ask for an agreement. Will you prioritize getting to our meetings on time, please, right? Or whatever. So uh, just to give a, a sense, there's all these different pathways. And I think this is also where people often have an opportunity to get more conscious, right. Or to be better leaders instead of just defaulting to a meeting, which is what a lot of people do, or just thinking of it all the same and they just go do something without mindfulness. Let's just pause a moment and be a little more mindful. Which pathway is most effective Mm. here? Or maybe there's several, sometimes there's a few different pathways I want to take. So that's another way to just notice what you're doing. This is good leadership. It's, it's it's being able to consciously choose a response to a stimulus
1: hmm. there is a tool there is a method that is working for teams that is tension triage maybe a couple of words on that because in the field of the collective sometime i have tensions and i don't have the i don't have the clarity of maybe what is the right pathway or who is involved maybe that tension has to do with many people and i don't even know i'm not sure or if it's who, I'm um, not instead of clarity, as we said earlier. So so there in, maybe a few words of this very simple and very effective process, just to give a bit of concrete for our audience on like a method, this, this is one of the pieces of, I think, the golden nugget of holacracy.
0: Yeah, this is, so we have a process called a tactical meeting in holacracy. And yeah, it's actually a really useful practice you can use, even if you're not going to do all of holacracy. This is a yeah. piece, simple and powerful. But the, the interesting thing, it's a different meeting process for dealing with like a, what typically might be a team meeting or a staff meeting or whatever. But it's one that, that really gives practice for how to be more conscious and better leaders in processing tensions. So uh, the, the cool thing about it is it's practice for what you want people to do outside of meetings anyway, which is be more clear with, hey, I'm sensing a tension and let me be mindful about how I want to process it. So And these meetings are quite a bit different than what we're used to and a lot more efficient. So in most meetings, our agenda is built of topics to discuss. And then we all bring our tensions about that topic and we basically fight for the collective attention uh, around that topic. And it's it's pretty inefficient. It's Holacracy's tactic meetings different. It's the agenda is built on the fly in the meeting uh, based on the tensions anyone wants to bring and add to the agenda. And when we get into an agenda item, it's not for everyone. It's for you who brought the agenda item. If it's your agenda item, You're basically getting the floor and everyone else's job is just to support you to say hey what do you need right how can we help what do you need and then it's your job to own and lead your attention and make requests right maybe you want to request an action from someone or a project or you want to talk about a process change or whatever and the goal is is to not for everyone else is to not hijack your agenda item with their own stuff they can add their own agenda item for that it's to be in service And I I love about this. It's also training something that will change people's personal relationships as well, because (laughs) uh, maybe some of you listening have learned this. I've certainly learned with my fiance, if she brings attention to me in the relationship, you know, she says, hey, I've got this this thing that's bugging me or whatever. The worst thing I can do is say, oh, yeah, well, I have this tension, too. Right. (laughs) At that point, it's the wrong, wrong thing. Uh, It works better if I fully give her the floor and the attention and the focus, I listen, I receive her, I help her figure out what she needs to do to resolve her attention. And when it's done, I then say, can I have a turn with something that I've got attention about that works so much better. And anyone who's been in a relationship for any length of time probably knows this. So what if our business meetings could be training that skill that would that mm. would be really cool and that's exactly what the tactic meeting process does it's about taking turns processing tensions one tension at a time not everyone bringing their tension together one tension per agenda item one at a time and it's one person's floor until they've got what they need everyone else there is just in service to them and we take turns and it's mm. a game changer We've had somebody measured this once uh, in, in a state government entity that adopted the Holacracy in the US. They looked at before and after six months of this practice, how many meeting minutes did it take to get a clear action or clear decision out of a meeting when you needed it from someone else? And the reduction was over 90%. So 90% less wow. meeting minutes needed. Yeah, it was, in other words, you can do 10 times as much in your meeting or have one 10th the meeting time and get the same result which is pretty pretty remarkable. And not only that, but it's more empowered. It, it's training people how to be more empowered outside of meetings as well. Wow, and I concur to that having, having experienced
1: it also, applied it in many, many contexts. And that's also the maybe the first thing that people really can easily implement because once you get it, it's easy and it creates so much, uh, so much efficiency focus and pleasure also in the meeting and presence and quality of presence. Yes. Yeah. There's another process I found very extremely interesting to process tension. This is when you say, well, I have a tension about, about the process around uh, around how things are made here, or I have a pretension about the way things are done, and I'd like to change the way things are done. So you call yeah. it the governance. Maybe a few words on that, also, also to make it a bit concrete and understand what's behind.
0: I love this example. It's a true story. Uh, so this was a governance meeting at my company long ago. So I, d- I do a lot of speaking like this, and often at conferences. Like we were at, you know, a, a few weeks ago, and we get a lot of requests from our our conference organizers and our network to have me speak, and we have to sort through them and decide which ones should I go to. Only you know so much I can travel. So we have a role for that. And the role is called casting agent. (laughs) philocracy is a role-based system. We break things down into roles. This is one role. It's not the whole of somebody's job. It's one of about a dozen roles that one of my colleagues fills. But somebody in my company fills this role, casting agent. And their job as casting agent is to book me in my spokesperson role. I fill a role called spokesperson. Book me for talks. So to do that, she was building relationships with the conference organizers, right? Someone would request me. She'd build a relationship, negotiate with them, come up with a a plan, a vision. And at the end of her process, she'd present it to me and say, hey, here, I I negotiated this thing. And sometimes, many years back, (laughs) I would say, no, I'm not going to go. It's the wrong market or not big enough or whatever, not worth my time. And she she had some tension. She felt frustrated and disempowered, right? She had built a relationship, spent a lot of time and energy, and then I shoot it down at the in this case. It's interesting because while we certainly could firefight this with just individual actions here and there, this really indicates a process change. There's something in the way we're working. And that's the domain of these governance meetings. So she came to a governance meeting of our marketing team, which is where these two roles live. Right, our casting agent and spokesperson role are both in our marketing circle team, right? So she goes to our governance meeting. Governance meetings happen in every team. She goes to this team's governance meeting and she proposes adding a new expectation on my role. Specifically, she says, I want spokesperson to be accountable for documenting the criteria that you're going to use to accept or reject speaking engagements. She said, because if I could see that criteria up front, I could assess it myself before I waste all this time and know you're gonna to stick to the criteria that you've documented. So she said, I wanna expect that of spokesperson. And there's a cool facilitated process for this. It gives people a voice, but it's not, it doesn't get stuck in consensus. It's not what it's looking for. It took two minutes in this process to get this proposal adopted. So two minutes later, we had a new expectation of my spokesperson role to solve retention so that after the meeting, she could turn to me and say, so when do you think you'll have that drafted for me, right? <laughs> Give me an estimate. when will that be drafted by? And the footnote of this story that I find so funny is uh, I'm the founder of this company and a seasoned CEO for years before that. She was our newest hire right out of college. In what companies do you know where the newest hire right out of college in two minutes can add an expectation onto the founder and then turn to him and say, when will you have that done for me (laughs) by? That's empowerment in action. That's what it looks like. It's it's yeah. evolving organizational clarity based on her mm. needing something to lead mm. her role better. Mm. Doesn't matter yeah. if she's our newest hire. What mattered is her casting yeah. agent role needs something from the spokesperson role that needs to change the process. That's what the governance meetings are for—to change the process and the roles. At yeah, play.
1: that's great. Thank you. It's a great example. It's and I, we just I just picture the situation, and uh, these are two ways to process tensions. These are two also types of meetings that that are. In, in in holacracy, uh, a few words about the, uh, the holacracy, the principle, and, and you have a new release, it actually comes is an evolutionary material, it evolves over time, it gets better. In the latest version, you made a big shift uh, basing the holacracy, which was a whole approach, into, into different principles, and saying, if I understood correctly, well, you can start with one of the principles and apply it, and then you can, you know, Go where you see fit, and 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 what is adapted, you know, adapted to your context, and and yeah. So so it's a much more adaptive approach. I I understand. Could could you explain that? What happened? Why did you do that? What happened? And then what are those five? I think five key principles. Maybe yeah. we could review them. I think it would be interesting because because this is a new thing, uh, kind of a new thing you know, in like Alacrity, and and for those who have been following for many years, they may not be aware of it.
0: Yeah, this was a huge change earlier this year. Yeah, uh, and it was years in the making before that getting there, and it came about because. What we saw when we we looked at the market and companies doing this, when companies successfully made the transition, it was really powerful. The most common thing we heard is, I'd never go back. And at the same time, there was a lot of companies that failed to get there in the first place, and even more who never tried. And when we talked to them more, what we found again and again was just the change was too big all at once right? And either they they failed often because they tried to chunk it down, but they didn't know how to do that well. So it didn't work. Or they just couldn't do it all. It was too much to absorb, too big to digest all at one time. Or they never tried because it, it was too big. And And the problem with the last version, uh, I mean, this is, I think the biggest fair criticism we got was it's kind of an all or nothing thing. You had to, you know, it wasn't designed yes it was all self-reinforcing, it was all intertwined. So it was hard to like figure out how to do a part of it. And often when people tried, it would be kind of like playing uh, soccer by only choosing one rule. And you know, that that often doesn't make a fun game. It's just weird, right? So uh, what we we did was really look at it and say, how can we break this thing down so that it's still cohesive and it gives you a, a way of adopting a piece at a time. And we chunked it down into five modules or five building blocks. And uh, one of them is kind of the foundation, which is just a language for describing roles. And we have now plenty of companies that are still traditional management hierarchies that are using our approach to describing roles because it's better organizational clarity. It gives a language for breaking down and clarifying roles that's just far better than what most management hierarchies do. So that's the, the the first building block, and you can adopt just that and just have a better management hierarchy with more clear, more clarity, more roles. And then there's these four other modules you can kind of add on top of that in any order you want, whenever you're ready, and go as far as you want and stop when, when you're done. And, and it just gives you this path, right? So we talked about two of them already. The tactical meeting is one, and the governance meeting is another, right? And then there's, there's two more. One of them is about getting clarity on how people can manage each other outside of meetings operationally. So you need less things kind of going to the boss, uh, providing some ground rules for how we we hold each other accountable, basically. And then there's another module for um, really empowering the roles and giving people clarity on where they can lead and where the limits on their leadership are, right? So these are five different modules and and you can adopt them in any order you want. And, and it's just, it solved the biggest issue we had the biggest issue we saw, which was it was too big to do all at once for a lot of a lot of companies. And it was risky, you know, so now there's still some companies, especially smaller ones that still do it all at once. That's fine. Great. But many companies, especially the larger ones, or more complex ones uh, or ones where not everybody is completely on board up front towards this kind of change. It just needs a little bit of practice.
1: Yeah, I think it was the-
0: yeah, it's probably a great move. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Cause because, and it was, there was a lot of friction for doing the whole at, at once and 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 now there's a path. I understand what of the first thing you do when you implement lacracy is working on the purpose, right?
0: Yeah, holacracy is a purpose-driven yeah. system. Everything yes. comes down to why are we here? What are we trying to achieve? Yeah, yes. definitely.
1: Yeah. Okay. So which which yes. one of those principles is it related to?
0: Um, it that's introduced in the very first the foundational building blocks. When you define more roles, every role has a purpose. The Okay. And, it's cool. And yet every team yeah. has a purpose. Uh, you know, so it's it's a breakdown. The company has a purpose, teams okay. have purpose, roles have purpose. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's an interesting question. I remember when you
0: created a lacracy and
1: because and, uh, when, when we met you were well, it was not the beginning, but it was still the before the, the big growth. Yeah. Uh, you had big... this vision for governance across companies in, in the in an industry, in a sector, in an ecosystem itself, uh, like a societal vision for it. And uh, that is that was purpose driven. And I remember you were speaking about as a as a bit of a vision of the long term, like the next level of alacrity. I'm very curious to know where you stand on this right now. And I say that from the from the personal belief that that is the next level. That is what we need to you know go towards too, like uh, integrating the needs of organizations and maybe the tensions of organizations across an ecosystem for the ecosystem, including I would say the living ec- ecosystem as well, being part of it. So we we can govern those ecosystem inc- that that include the the, the life on earth and the, and the, the, the living system as well in a way that is maybe that is more way more sustainable. So, so I'm, I'm curious to to know have you, where are you on this? Is it something still alive in you? And
0: yeah. oh yeah, totally. And there's there's examples of this now in okay. practice. I find beautiful. Okay, um, excellent. One of the examples that I'm closest to is in my own company. So there's a network of 50 different uh, firms that do Holacracy coaching now all around the world, different languages, different territories and all that. And basically licensees where we provide the brand and a bunch of materials and all that, and quality control. And then they go out and take it to the market. And the the traditional way of doing a licensing program would be uh, we define all the standards and rules and processes, everything we think, you know, is going to best serve the market and the licensees and all that. We try to define all that. We try to get it right up front. And we apply it. And then invariably, we end up with licensees that uh, something's off. It's not working for them. And so they're a little frustrated with us, you know. Uh, and then we feel unfairly judged because we're doing our best. We're, we're dealing with a lot of complexity. And those relationships often are quite tense when I, I've seen them uh, before. So instead of that, we said, well, why don't we just invite our licensees? Into the governance process of the team that's governing our licensing program. So they can bring their attention, even though this is across a, into a different organization. They can send a representative in to say, hey, there's something in the way with your standards or process or whatever. And they can drive change to improve the situation for them themselves. And, and now we don't have to get it perfect up front, right? Now we don't have to figure everything out and we don't have to just sit here and and be in this weird power dynamic with them where we're trying to you know, s- solve all their tensions. We can just say, well, come on in and solve your own tension through this dynamic governance process and let's evolve the program over time together. Uh, so it's a really interesting way of, of evolving this kind of broader ecosystem of processes and, and, and standards and all that with all of our licensees. And we're actually about to take another step for it and put that into a foundation that even we then are just another player in, in, right? So all of the the network of companies using the Holacracy brand and doing this will all be able to link into this ecosystem level foundation uh, and process tensions to evolve the governance that that affects all of us in different organizations. So it's a great example. And there are other examples out there now as well. When you have a really good tension processing framework with standard uh, language and standard methodologies, you can cross different companies in the same way that using other standards lets companies kind of cross connect. This is just that. It's a standard for describing processes and roles and evolving them. And when we're using the same standard, we can suddenly connect across companies and build something larger than us, which I, I think is really cool as well. It involves a lot of things to
1: do that. You, it means that you're ready to be transformed, changed, or impacted by somebody else in another organization. So it, it has to be, first, a very strong driver, a very, very good reason for it. So what what would be the good reason for a company to uh, to do that at a multinational level? Is, does it exist yet, or what would be the driver for that?
0: Yeah. Well, so I, I, we already see plenty of uh, large organizations that are collaborating in some kind of joint venture, right? Like, yeah, um, I, I just got back from 30 some hours of uh, flights on a, a lot of different airlines. And so I, the example in my head right now is uh, yes, these okay. airline devices, right? Like, sure. great example, right? Yeah. The they're, they're doing all this stuff, collaborating. I had three different airlines involved in getting me home from halfway around the world the last yeah. week, right? So the ways of governing that are often incredibly bureaucratic, and these things are not the fastest to evolve, and and it's it's just difficult. So holacracy is not changing the need for these things. It's just giving you a, a better framework to govern these things, right, and evolve them. So wherever you already have a desire or attention, a need to in some way cross-collaborate with others in your industry or, or whatever or for some shared purpose, then this gives you another option, another way of doing it. Right now, because it's so hard to do this without a good framework, the bar is high. The need for it better be so strong to justify the bureaucracy, right? The cost is high. Holacracy does reduce the bureaucracy. It reduces the cost, which also means there might be things now that fall into that scope where they weren't worth doing it before, but now maybe are worth doing it if we can do it more economically, right? More agilely. I, I think that's an interesting question, and this is one that is the leading edge of holacracy practice out there. As more and more uh, larger companies adopt holacracy and do this, even at, in different departments or whatever, there will be more opportunities to find these kind of uh, ways of governing these these yeah. collaborative cross-company initiatives.
1: It's just like creating a, a, a cross silo team, and that is that is in charge of, of taking care of some of the common, some things that, some of the topics that that is that is of interest for everyone. I have the example uh, in a multinational where uh, different countries they relate to the to the region, but they would be in a hierarchical relationship, were just reporting to the region and doing their own business. But in, in reality, all those those countries had uh, topics that they could share, like interest of sharing creating synergies, maybe. Such as I remember they were doing campaigns and launches of new product and maybe some uh, web application and all that. Instead of recreating the, renting the wheel each time, they would simply collaborate and share resources and creating a circle for that across, across, the, uh, across yeah. those countries, across, across those, those, those uh, affiliates in different countries. And, and this, this was actually for them a gain of, it means they would work for the common, for the whole. Maybe 10, 20% of the time and still work for their own uh, people work still for their own country, uh, 80, 90% of the time. But the 20% they would spend for the whole for the others, they would get it back into a more value from the others to them. I guess that's the same model, but across organization.
0: Yeah, yeah. But it's it also works within an organization. We see that. When larger organizations have more teams doing Holacracy, those teams have new ways that they can cross-connect like that. These are tools that are especially needed as complexity increases. And we live in a world now where complexity is skyrocketing and higher than yeah, it's yeah. ever been. Yeah. He like this.
1: The notion of roles for so the tool that the roles are with all the distinctions in them, and as you have, they are in you know, lacracy, are really a way to think and design organization in a different way. Because in the in a classic model, a job is one person full-time, which has one boss, and it's kind of rigid. And with Neolacracy, we don't talk about job, we talk about roles. And a role has nothing to do with the time you need to spend it. So it could be a one-hour per month role. It could right. be a full-time job. It could be a full team taking that role. So it, so the role is is a distinction, a, is a tool to think, to design organization. And, and in general, I, I think that people are playing lacrosse. They have, in general, two, three roles. Okay. Seven is a typical
0: wow. average, yeah. yeah. Okay, so seven uh, roles, very... which
1: is a very different paradigm. It means that they are in several circles, seven, seven teams being part of several contexts, working in different contexts at the same time. So there is a lot of, like, did you see having this, do you see an evolution in the organizational model? Oftentimes, the based either by, like, a geographical area or often by a, a function, like a field of expertise, like, a, that, you know, a know-how. That is the thing what we do, and then it's, uh, we, we do the stuff, and then we send it to the next silo, uh, and there is a evolution yeah. between us. But it may not be so efficient. Do you see an evolution in the design, in the organizational design, in the way organizations are designed with Alacrity? I think that's a a big question because people want to know how it's going to look like tomorrow.
0: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And one of the biggest mistaken goals that people make when they're pursuing this is uh, they try to design the role structure too much up front. The beauty and magic of Holacracy is that instead of trying to, to get the right answer for that, it acknowledges we can't possibly know the right answer for that up front. We can discover it over time and it's a moving target that will keep evolving. So the mm-hmm. real difference here is how do we even get to a clear structure? Is it intelligent design from the top of saying, mm-hmm. hey, we're going to you know design the perfect system. Is it going to be functional or whatever and apply that down? Or yeah. is it evolutionary design? Is it allowing everyone to involve the sense when a process could be better or a role could be different or a structure could change could, could help? Holacracy is an evolutionary design versus intelligent design framework. So at the end of the day, what happens is the organization simply adapts to its context and everyone looks unique and different and often totally different than anyone would have guessed up front. Right. And and that's the magic of it. You don't need to answer the question up front exactly what it should look like. You need to answer the question, how do we evolve it so we can learn over time what it should look like? Right. Mm -hmm. And. If you're in a static environment, then doing it up fine. But if you're in a dynamic environment, complexity is high, there's a lot of change, yeah. then you can't. It's a moving target. It's got to be. So the magic of holacracy is it allows evolution to design your organization one tension at a time by constantly tweaking and improving, searching for a better way to express the purpose of every role and every team. And you end up with major design changes, but often they're so adapted, right? It's it's for the current environment, for the current context, here's the the best fit, right? Here is the design that makes the most sense right now, and that will change with every governance yes. change, every change, every process change.
1: It also maybe stabilizes at some point, well, for a moment, and then it evolves again. But yeah, it's but it's. You, I mean, it's already yeah. more
0: stable. every moment you're going to have more mm. st- management hierarchy is terrible at clarity. And, and so you lack stability if you lack clarity. So the yeah, irony yeah. of this is it's not a question. It is more stable and more changing. Yes, They're no yes. longer at odds. So you have yeah, something yeah. that if you look at a company that runs with this, it looks so much more stable. It feels more stable than the vast majority yeah. of companies come across. Sorry. And it's changing all the time. It's both.
1: Yeah, it's changing all the time. It's stable and changing at the same time. Yeah. And that's, uh-huh. that's, yeah, that's the paradox. Do you see any evolution in the patterns how organizations doing this look like in the terms of, do you see like going the, the organization evolving towards a kind of a network form of organization or more organization based on big projects, project-based organizations? Do, do you have a view on that or not? Because that's often the question that is coming as how it's going to look like. I'm, I'm just curious to have your, experience, your your feedback on that after so many years of experience.
0: So it's so adapted to what that unique organization needs. It's yeah. not a one size fits all. No. It's more likely that it'll evolve towards more value stream organization, uh, you know, yep. organizing okay. around the, the, what is the value stream of how we deliver to a client more likely to move in that direction than to move heavily functional. And yet yep. it might actually be both. It might be, you get more to that, but then you also have yeah. these cross functions for, for common things that help, you know, everyone across different business units or mm. value streams, whatever. Mm. So it's really different, but generally, at least for most companies, it's it kind of breaks down the siloed functional area and and gives you something that's more organized around who actually needs to work together in order to get value out the door to the customer mm. right that it's more likely to organize around that most often but there are exceptions mm. all the time so yeah
1: yeah okay i'm um curious to maybe ask some questions about you and you personally yeah. well, uh wonderful. i think that's great too but well, thank you first for all your energy and your passion and I'm. Impressed that after so many years, you share with the same passion. It's uh, intact, and that's uh, wonderful. Uh, I hope our audience is feeling it. It has been such imagine a journey for you, also. Transform. You don't you don't lead others into transformation when you don't transform yourself. What does it take? What it took for you to do that? And, and maybe from the beginning to today, that there is such a journey. What have been for you the, the big learning curves? What is the experience of being Brian Robertson?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to to reflect and see. How much uh, changes in Holacracy itself over the years in my work yeah. or my of conveying it mirror internal changes <laughs> as I yeah. keep going through my own personal development and growth journey. In some ways, uh, Holacracy now feels like a tiny piece uh, for me of where my passion and focus really is. Uh, it used to be almost the opposite, it was all in, in this, this thing, but now it's, you know, when you get these. Beautiful this beautiful system this framework that that really unleashes creativity mm. and uh, empowerment. You, you still have a, a bunch of humans that are 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 limited by how uh, our own inner stuff shows up in organization. That's still there. So my own passion lately has has really drifted towards now. How do we create the kind of human to human connection and culture that mm. best enables us? to drive this kind of change that Holacracy facilitates. And, and one of the things I, I find Holacracy itself is so integrative, right? It, it allows lots of different perspectives to come in and find their, their yep. puzzle connecting and this integration. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I find in the, the human domain now, this is and this is a lot of my own inner work, is how do I not resist, reject, push against, or demonize anything? How do I show up in a way where... There's nothing to push against there's everything is embraced everything is welcomed I get asked a lot how do you change a system and my answer is you know like people people don't change when you go tell them everything that's wrong with them and you push your desire for them to be different on them they change when you love them exactly as they are and mm-hmm. you no longer want to change them and that's the moment where you're actually best set up to help them change and I I've found more and more, and this is a lot of inner work of my part getting there is the same is true with systems. If if we want something in our company to be different or some group in our company to be different, the best path I can tell you is find a way to love them so much, love the system, mm-hmm. love the people, love them so much that you no longer want them to be different, that you see them as beautiful and, and perfect exactly as they are. And in that moment, you're in the best position to help them change. Right, but it's no longer coming from your ego wanting them to be different. It's coming from service. It's coming from love, from acceptance. And so, you know, my own inner journey has very much been getting there. From in the beginning, trying to design the system so that I could change things in the in the the organization and get things out of the way for me to drive change, and then coming almost full circle back to, you know, what the best way I know to drive change is just to love and accept everyone. And and the more I can be in that energy, the more I can uh, find out in myself what am I demonizing and making bad, and the more I can I can find a way just to love that thing. You know, can I love that too? The the more powerful I am in driving change, even without coloquy. So it's it's a, it's an interesting mm. thing. It's um, and these are two parallels, and they, they work well together. You can have a system that helps you drive change. And if everyone internally is just constantly, you know, attacking and rejecting everyone else, it's 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 not going to do much good. And the same, you can have people that are open-hearted and loving. And if the system sucks, it's not going to do much good. You you really mm. need both. Really. Thank you
1: for sharing that. This is really I find very beautiful because yeah, when you say loving people, uh, what an invitation for leaders. Are you good at putting up practices and uh, methods? <laughs> do you have a um, bit of advice or a, a, a way or a practice that enables us to? Um, remember that and connect to this, view this, well to see others as perfect as they are, as you say, and not trying to fix them, but just accept them and then love them. Do you have have a practice for that? I'm curious.
0: I I want to differentiate. There are practices that might help one um, get better at that, uh, Mm -hmm. but they're not practices for that. The the trouble Mm -hmm. is there's no practice for that. It Mm -hmm. it has to be coming just from your own heart. It has to be coming from your own heart. Yes. And, and as soon as you're putting it as a practice to do that, it's actually distancing it from where it has to come yeah. from for it to be authentic and yeah. real. So you can practice things for opening your heart. You can practice things for noticing what you're demonizing or rejecting and being more aware of it. There are practices to practice those things. Meditation is a practice for, for that. There are lots of different spiritual development practices for that stuff, um, lots of different uh you know mindfulness practices for that. There's interpersonal processes you can bring into a company to resolve conflicts and see each other better. And all of those can help, but none of those are the thing. The thing has to come from first a real vulnerability, a, a being willing to put yeah. myself out there to show people my heart, you know, to show people my emotion, my sadness, that if you yeah. want a more loving environment, the thing you can do is just love more, right? If you want an environment that, that, uh, doesn't have people, you know, fighting a, as much for things. You can just not fight yourself, right? Like it, it's it's including fighting, the fact that there's fighting, right? How do we make everything just okay? And that's inner work. You know, there's no process for that other than just keep noticing what's, what's a barrier mm. to your own heart. How do you break your own heart open more? How do you love people better? You can't love someone unless you really see them. So the first thing for me is how can I see people better, right? How can I really see their beauty, their their shining, radiant expression of, of themselves in the world? And I, I kind of find if you can really see someone, you can't help but fall in love with them. And so then how do I see people more? Well, the first thing, I can let them see me, right? And that's, that's something, it's including the parts that are scary to let them see, you know, um, that's the first thing I can do. I can show them myself. I can tell them when I'm hurting. I can tell them when I'm, I'm feeling something I can tell them when I'm, I I appreciate them and I feel gratitude. I, something I I sometimes do in some of my talks, I'll, I'll ask the room in the beginning, you know, I can ask your audience now, how many of you have somebody that you work with regularly, who's not, you know, your spouse or whatever, who you regularly say, I love you to right? Most of our work environments, the percentage of people that will say yes to that is, is very close to zero. What, why? why? Why does that need to be the case? What if, what if we could mm. just put our hearts out there and find ways to deeply see and appreciate people and love them? What would that do to how easy it is to work with each other and to solve conflicts that are there?
1: That's wonderful. I see our, our job when we facilitate a room and uh, create connections among people. That's a moment where actually to create is actually love. People fall in love with each other. They fall in love with their colleagues. They fall in love with being together, and there is so much energy because we just give space to talk and to meet in an authentic way. And that's actually not something you create. It's just something that is happening. You, it doesn't take much to just create the conditions for that. But it's natural. It's like a fire. If you just scratch and imagine, it's big. You can have a big fire, and and uh, that's quite natural. But it takes just to create a space for that with a few conversations and uh, often appreciative conversations. You, we can we can uh, create that effect. Or we don't create it. It just. Happens by itself and then there is so much energy when people connect to that that they are, they feel undestructible they can they can conquer the world and they can solve all the problems there is something around energy uh also that is that is connected to it like we can't change without within low energy state we need to be in a high energy state you're in a high energy state when you speak <laughs> uh you're not in low state and that there is something around that too i think how can we collectively be in a high state and it would love to yeah
0: does. And, and one of the things I'd say is, uh, if the current state is low energy, and that's in the way, the mistaken goal is to try to uh, reject that, push it away and change it. And the more effective path is just to love that you're in a low energy state.
1: Mm-hmm. And that yeah. actually
0: it, that lets it change. Mm-hmm. And, and that goes for almost anything, whatever it is you hate, you don't yeah. like away in, in your company, but you
1: don't want, yeah.
0: you don't want the attempt to push it away is likely to, to mm-hmm. create resistance and be more difficult. The, the more effective tool is first just love that you hate it, right? Like accept that about yourself. You don't have to push even that away. Accept that. Yeah, I hate this thing. That's cool. Love that. And then if you can from there, get to love the thing. And, and then it, it's amazing what happens. Things dissolve in front of you. Obstacles transform themselves when you just love them. It works so much better than trying to fight them. You know, fighting breeds resistance. Uh, acceptance and love invites energy for transformation
1: mm, yeah, yeah so
0: whatever it is you don't like your first job if you want to change it is to love it so much you know look no longer want to change it
1: wow what do you wish for yourself you know for the coming years because this work is evolving you're, you're also growing and yeah what can we wish
0: to you and to lacracy over the and i say to you for the years to come so much of the theme of my life lately is is really more in this how to be uh, then what mm. to do, what do I want to achieve? That was, I, I've achieved a lot. I've, I've done a lot. That's that's uh, kind of a, a past version of myself. But mm-hmm. I actually went yeah. uh, to a recent ayahuasca ceremony with this question of what should I do next? What should I focus on? And I kept asking it in the middle of deep ayahuasca journey. And And every time I I got a message just, you know, downloaded, which uh, ayahuasca can tend to do, which just gives you kind of these download messages. Every time I asked the question, the message was like a smack of a stop asking that question. It's a wrong question. The right question for you right now is not what to do. It's how to be. It's not what to achieve. It's how to be. And so I, I, for myself, keep coming to, okay, well, then I'm not going to worry about any of that. I'm not going to worry about what I'm doing, what I want to achieve. I'm just going to try not to think about it and instead just ask, how do I show up with more love? How do I show up with more acceptance? How do I how do I be of service? How do I serve everyone I touch and everyone around me from the most purest, widest open heart I, I can I can muster? How do I be that? I'll let the rest take care of itself, but that's that's my path right now.
1: Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. We are reaching the end of this conversation. And I didn't warn you, so I would like to ask with your permission something that I often ask with my guests, which is. I would like to leave you alone with the audience for a minute or two for you to tell them whatever you want. And it could be a silent moment, it just offer a moment of bliss. It could be, I don't know, whatever is carrying you right now. But I'm I'm gonna cut my mic and my and my headset so you it's you alone with them for now, uh-huh. just I just see you. So so I will see I kind of see when you're done and and, and I will at come back. All
0: right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. My hope is that you maybe got some cool intellectual insights in some of of what I I shared, uh, maybe some follow-up points to investigate. Uh, But more than anything, I hope you've helped me because I think so much of the work we do in organizations is not actually about the systems we bring in and the leadership in the the process and the doing sense. It really is about how we be. You know That, That last point I was on and and so I really would invite you, like to invite people to feel into that. You know, Maybe was there something in how I showed up that, that resonates with the how to be? Or maybe not. Maybe you felt me and said, well, I don't want to be that way. That's great. That's a, that's a clue too. You know, how do you want to be? That's where I find most of my energy lately going. And not to say the doing is unimportant, but being uh, trumps it in so many ways. It, it can ruin or accelerate whatever you're doing, how you, how you be it. Thank you for listening.
1: Thank you so much. I, I'm very grateful, and I, I remember speaking 11 years ago. And it's funny when we, as we age, uh, to see people in their lifespan evolving. Wonderful to see you again. I find you so alive, so alive, and 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 full of life in a very generative way, a very very communicative way, a loving way. So thank you for that. It's wonderful to to see that. Maybe we could do that again in a I don't know in the in future another podcast when I. Things will have changed a bit more. And It
0: uh, seems like a beautiful note to stop on, other than maybe if you want to dig deeper into Holacracy, go to holacracy.org. So we'll put the um, Holacracy
1: One website for sure in the description. Well, thank you uh, again, Brian. Thank you, everyone, for uh, listening. And then I, well, stay tuned for our next episode, I hope. And I'm sure that this day will really brought you a lot of inspiration. Thank you, and bye.